Did Eleanor like that song? <laughs> I was looking for her. I was almost going to bring her up here. That's good. Amen. You are the church, and I thank the Lord that we are uh, the church and that the Lord Jesus is our Lord. How are we sounding back there? Good deal. Good deal. Stormy, keep them in order back there. Help them out, Lydia. Amen. You know, that's good when a pastor's got to pause to wait for children's church to be dismissed. Amen. Wow, what a blessing. We were talking earlier about the music that fills a pastor's ears when he hears babies crying and children uh, in the church. That means that their family's here. That means there are vibrant marriages here. Uh, that means that the church is here because the church is the children too. Amen. Friends, 51-year-old pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church, Reverend Kevin Fast, owns a world record in a most unusual category. Reverend Fast pulls jets. On September the 17th, 2009, Reverend Fast broke the world record at the Canadian Forces Base in Trenton, Ontario. He attached a cable to a harness on his upper body and he attached the other end to the front landing gear of a 188-ton C-177 Globemaster military cargo plane. With his tennis shoes firmly planted on the runway, Reverend Fast began to lean forward. He began to take one step after the next step and with all his might, he pulled. And sure enough, he began to inch that C-177 cargo plane 28 feet, 10 and one-half inches in a minute and 20 seconds. Truly a superhuman feat. One of these days, I pray that I can pull a cargo plane. Amen. I'm going to keep going to the gym, and who knows, one of these days. But you know, um, I've learned that I kind of already am. Can I tell you that in many ways, the church resembles a C-177 military cargo plane? The strength of just a few human beings can support it. The strength of a few human beings can build it. The strength of a few human beings can even pull it along for a short period of time. The alternative to doing that is to pray that God would crank up those powerful engines of the Holy Spirit that exists in every believer. And those engines would be cranked up and would go to work in every single member of the church. And when that occurs, and the church gets fired up, that church can fly millions of miles and go through any storm. When God begins to create in every church member a desire to go beyond the call of duty, 
beyond the call of duty in devotion, in worship, in praise, in sacrifice, in obedience, when God creates a desire in every single church member to serve our master, guess what happens? Revival follows. Revival follows. Today, God is going to show me and you how the Old Testament prophet Isaiah experienced real revival. You see, to experience real revival, Isaiah found that God's people must first seek God. That's the problem. We got too many people occupying places in the pews, but they're not seeking God. Listen to what happened in Isaiah chapter 6 in the first four verses. Isaiah writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above it stood seraphim, that is, angels. Each angel had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with the other two he flew. And those angels cried to one another, and they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. If we're going to experience revival, if we're going to turn this country around, God's people must start to seek him, to seek God. You see, perhaps the greatest problem in the church today is the fact that its members don't really believe that the word of God is spoken here. That's right. Even here at Bethel, there are many, many in our membership that do not believe that the word of God is being spoken here. How do I know? Well, think about it. If you really and truly believe that the creator of heaven and the creator of earth was going to speak to you every time you came here, you would never miss a service. So if we're being honest, we really don't believe that God is speaking here. You see, God calls us to seek him even before he calls us to serve him. And when we seek him, friend, you're going to get a vision of God. You're going to get a vision of God. You're going to get a vision of holiness. See, like Isaiah, we need to seek God personally. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. You see, in almost every case of revival, it begins with some new revelation of the character of God. When revivals happen, 
people start opening their eyes and they start saying, my God is so awesome. My God is so breathtaking. My God is so beautiful. Oh, he's so wonderful. He's so miraculous. He's so precious. I cannot stand to be out of his presence. Dr. Stephen Alford says, revival is an invasion of heaven. An invasion from heaven that comes from a renewed awareness that God is in my life. Friends, revival is a visit from God. That's exactly what it is. And revival will bring life to the believer. It will bring life to the sleeping Christian. It will bring that restoration of awareness that God is in part of every part of your life. He's there. God is here. And when we start to realize how close God really is, when we start to realize how holy God really is, then all of a sudden we start becoming keenly aware of how truly sinful we are. We become aware of how desperately we need to turn away from our sin. We become aware of how we ought to start praising him with everything we got. Real revival, genuine revival brings awareness of how God wants to use you and I as vessels of his love. Revival brings awareness of how God wants to use you as an instrument of his grace. But that only comes when you begin to see Like Isaiah, we also need to seek God positionally. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Friends, I want to tell you something this morning. That there is much competition for the throne of your life. Satan is competing for the throne of your life. Sin is competing for the throne of your life. Even the flesh, self, is competing for the throne of your life. And while there are many competitors for the throne of your life, there can only be one occupant. And that is Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can occupy the throne of your life. And when you offer Jesus the throne of your life and you begin to yield to what he wants you to do and he takes his rightful place in the, as the throne of your life, then you will worship like you never have. And I'm not talking about coming to Sunday morning service either. I'm talking about real worship. What's real worship look like, Bill? Well, I believe that real worship manifests itself in at least six different ways. First of all, you start praising God for all that he is and all that he's done. You can't stop praising God. 
Then you begin thanking God for all of his matchless gifts and all of his goodness to you. Then you start asking God to fill your own needs and the needs of others. I believe one of the biggest questions that God asks of his own people is, will you trust me? Can I trust you to trust me? Can God trust you to trust him? You'll start asking, you'll start asking for him to fill your own needs and the needs of others. But you'll also start offering him gifts. I'm not talking about putting a buck in the basket. I'm talking about real sacrificial giving. I'm talking about real sacrificial service. I'm talking about giving you, you know, giving him your life. That's what I'm talking about. How else do we worship? Well, I have this unquenchable desire to learn about him. I cannot wait to spend time in devotion with God every morning. To open the word of God and see what do you have to say to me today. To, to learn about him from his word, whether I'm reading it or whether I'm listening to the preaching of it. But then, also, obeying what he tells me. Obeying his voice. And finally, I'm going to start telling other people about him. I'm going to start telling others about what he's done for me. And I'm going to prove what he's done for me by how I live and what I say. See, worship happens every day of your life. And when you seek God personally, and when you seek God positionally, you're going to worship him like you never have before. But like Isaiah, we also need to seek him purposefully, with great purpose. You see, our future depends on it. The future of the church depends on you seeking God. The future of our nation depends on you seeking God. Your life depends upon you seeking God. Listen to what Isaiah said. As he witnessed one angel crying out to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. You see, God's purpose is to fill the entire earth with the knowledge of God and the knowledge of his glory. That's the purpose of God. As his child, are you cooperating with the purposes of God? Are you filling the earth with his glory? Friend, as a child of God, are you taking his message to all those you influence that he saves everyone? Who was the last person you told about Jesus? person you told about Jesus. The ultimate form of worship. First century Christians, man, they gave their all. The first believers 
were so dramatically changed, they sacrificed all to reach the world as they knew it for the cause of Christ. We're lucky if we spare an hour. In the book of Revelation, the Bible says, and they do not rest day or night, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. They don't never rest. We should never rest telling people about Jesus. You see, real revival produces a revelation. It opens our eyes. We get this vision of God, and it changes our life. And that revelation of God makes me want to change. It makes me want to be different. God changes me the way that I perceive things. God changes the way that I have an attitude. God changes my attitude toward hurting people and lost people. God wants me to change the way I live. He wants me to make a difference. And when you seek and encounter God, man, you ought to be changed. You ought to be changed. Isaiah was certainly changed. We ought to be changed a little bit more like Jesus. So to experience this real revival, friend, you've got to start by seeking God. And until you do, you won't change. Until you do, this church won't change. Our nation won't change. And you can't complain about it because you're not changing. We're not seeking God like we should. But to experience real revival, God's people must also surrender to him. As if seeking him wasn't hard enough, now I also have to surrender to him? Friend, listen, there's no doubt that God's people have been saved by his grace through faith in the finished work that Jesus did on the cross. There is no doubt about that. But listen here, you can't expect to live a godly life. You can't expect to make a difference on this planet. You can't expect to receive the direction that we so desperately need until we surrender to God's will. It ain't happening. You can seek him all you want, but if you don't surrender, it'll never happen. Listen to what happened to Isaiah in verse 5. Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a sinful man. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim, the angel, flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, a hot one, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with that coal, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. Here I am. Send me. See, Isaiah had a vision of God, and it was a vision of holiness. But after that, Isaiah got a vision of himself, and it wasn't pretty. It was helplessness. Isaiah saw himself in the light of God's glory, and it wasn't pretty. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of me looking in the mirror when I first wake up in the morning. It ain't pretty. 
vision that Isaiah had led him to confess his sin. It led him to surrender his whole life to God. In other words, God made a difference. Like Isaiah, we need to surrender in several different ways. We need to surrender to him personally. I am undone, he said. I am unclean. I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king. See, the recognition that you got sin in your life, personal sinfulness, is the very beginning of revival. When you realize that something's got to change, that's the beginning of revival. So revival begins with you. Revival begins with me. Truly understanding how sin separates me from my sinless creator. That's the first step toward personal surrender. And let me tell you something. Nobody else can do this for you. It's personal. You've got to do it. I can't surrender for you. You've got to yield and surrender yourself. But like Isaiah, we also need to surrender to him powerfully. See, God doesn't demand a perfect vessel. He doesn't demand a golden vessel. But let me tell you what he does demand. He demands a clean vessel. He calls you to be blameless. He calls you to have a little integrity. He calls you to have some character. He calls you to walk in righteousness. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. Just as this burning ember from the altar of sacrifice purged sin from Isaiah, the power of one sacrifice drop of blood from the body of Jesus Christ can cleanse you of all your sin. But you must walk in that sinlessness. You must Walk in that integrity. You must accept the sacrifice and walk accordingly. It's powerful. But like Isaiah, our surrender also needs to be passionate. We need to surrender to him passionately. Did you hear what God said? God said, whom shall I send? Whom shall go for us? And man, I see Isaiah just jumping up and down, raising his hand. God, here am I. Send me. You ever said that? Here am I. Send me. Will you say that with me? Say it again. Here am I. Send me. Say it a little louder. Man, I want you to know that that is music to God's ears. When he hears his servant humbly and boldly making himself or herself available for the purposes of God, God gets elated to know that you want to fulfill the purposes of God. See, personal and powerful surrender turns into personal and powerful action. Here am I. Send me. Lord, I don't know who else you've got in mind to do it, but I want to do it. I want to do your work. I want to fill the earth with your glory. I want to make you known. See, real revival produces a revelation, but more importantly, get this, real revival produces a result. Something's 
good is about to happen. Something good is about to happen. To experience real revival, friend, God's people would better seek him. But God's people also better surrender to him. Finally, this morning, I find that Isaiah points out to us that God's people must also serve him. We are saved by the infinite love, forgiveness, and pardon of God through the, to those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. There is no doubt about that. But friend, until you come to the point where your faith turns to sacrifice, until you come to the point where your belief turns into service, until you come to the point where your claim to love him turns into action, you are depriving yourself of one of the greatest things of being a Christian. And that is God using you. It's one of the greatest blessings you'll ever experience as a believer. That God used you to make him known and to fill the earth with his glory. Look there in verse 9. Then God said, go and tell these people. Go and tell this people who keep on hearing but don't understand. Who keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. And they return to be healed. And then Isaiah said, but Lord... Lord, how long? And God answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant and the houses are without a man and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it. A tenth will be in it and will return. And be for consuming as the terebinth tree or the oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. So shall the holy seed be a stump. Isaiah had a vision of God. It was a vision of holiness. Isaiah got a vision of himself. And it was utter helplessness. But then Isaiah got a little glimpse of what his ministry looked like. And he realized he was helpless. Helpless to do what God had called him to do. Isaiah saw what looked like mission impossible. But we know that nothing is impossible with God. Isaiah saw what seemed to be a dead end mission. But all things work together for good to those who love God. The question is, do you? Experience real revival, we learn from Isaiah's ministry that we need to serve God positively. God said, Go and tell these people. Go tell them. Does that sound familiar to you? It ought to, because that's exactly what Jesus commands you and I to do to go. That is, as we're going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, that is, changing them into this new way of life in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. 
all that I've commanded you. See, there was absolutely zero question of what God was telling Isaiah to do. And there's absolutely no question what Jesus instructs his church to do. Go and tell these people. Go and tell these people, God said. But to experience real revival, not only must we go tell these people, but we have to do it perpetually. We have to serve God perpetually. Then Isaiah said, but God, how long? You don't know how much evil's in this world. You don't know about all the abortions in this world. You don't know about all the sin in this world and all the evil in this world. Don't you see how difficult it is? How long do you expect me to do this? How long must I continue to tell people about Jesus, your son? How long must I tell people that there is a savior from sin? How long must I continue to be an influence for the glory of God in a godless world? steadfastly continue until your life on earth is through or Jesus come back, comes back to get you one day. Continue serving God. Friends, God's servants are to proclaim the truth no matter how people respond. See, the test of ministry is not how people respond. The test of ministry is not outward success. The test of ministry is not full pews. The test of ministry is not a huge church. The test of ministry is faithfulness to Jesus. Do you get that? All you have to do is be faithful. Serve God perpetually. Finally, to experience real revival, we learn from Isaiah's ministry to serve God persistently. God said, a tenth shall remain, and they will return. What's he saying? He's saying, listen here, there's a remnant out there. There are people who will believe out there. Many of them are in your circle of influence. But you've been too afraid or too ashamed or something to mention the name of Jesus. And so that tenth still remained unconverted. Many people will reject you. But it's not you. It's the word of God they're rejecting. It shouldn't matter to us. We just must persist in seeking those who will respond. Because God says there's a remnant out there and they will return. That's our calling. That's our command. That's what we're called to do. That's why you're a Christian. So to experience real revival, there's first got to be that revelation of God. And that's only going to come when you seek him. Second, to experience real revival, there must be a result. And that result is only going to come when you surrender to God. And thirdly, to experience real revival, there's got to be a response. And listen carefully, that only comes when you serve him. We got so many professing believers that aren't serving God, it ain't even funny. And 
the reason is, is because they have never had a revelation of God. They have never seen the results of what God can do, and they've never responded to God. So my question is to you, is what is your response this morning? A friend asked me earlier in the week, what have you been doing today? And I said, well, I've been working on my Sunday morning message. And she said, oh, you want to see how you can step on our toes some more, huh? No, I said, sadly, it's been more painful for me than it ever will be for you. Listen to these words from a classic hymn. It says, Master, your calling I gladly obey. Only direct me, and I'll find the way. Teach me the mission appointed for me. What is my labor, and where shall it be? Willing, willing my Savior to take up the cross, willing to suffer rejection and loss. Willing to follow if you will but lead, only support me with grace in my need. Living or dying, I still would be thine, yet I am mortal and you are divine. Pardon Whenever I turn from the right, pity and bring me again to the light. Master your calling, and this I reply, ready and willing, Lord, here am I. I don't know how God is leading you to respond. Maybe it's time that you give your life to him for the first time. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time. But you haven't had a revelation of God. Because you haven't been seeking God. You haven't seen any results of being a Christian because you've never surrendered to God. And you've never responded because you've never served. Maybe it's time to do an about-face. Maybe it's time to bring some correction into your life. I'm thankful that we serve a God of second and third and fourth chances. Amen. So during this invitation, this is a decision time for you. You come if God's leading.